right there is the truth. Go ahead and grab a seat. And the truth of the matter is we do not have to live in fear to death and to dying that we have been churned into, we have been um, 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 adopted into the family of God and become children of God. Um, we were doing things just a little bit different today, um, for which I apologize. Um, if you're not aware, I'm having a surgery on Wednesday for my hip, so I'm going to sit. I am just going to sit here. If you are a college student and you are in here, I want to encourage you to hit up the uh, First Connections table on your way out. There's something that we have going on that we want you to feel free to be a part of today, um, and we don't want you to miss that. And so we just want to invite you to that. Just hit up the counter called First Connections out there. The person there, we say, hey, what do you have for college students? And they'll tell you what we have for college students today. Okay, and you can be a part of that. This is our third sermon in the series in the book of James, Doing Life. And in our small groups, we're calling it Doing Life Together. And what does it mean for us to read the book of James? As we, as we look into the book of James, it talks about how do we be Christians on this planet? Now, I know that's grammatically a little bit uncomfortable for some of you, but that's how I want to say it. How do we be Christians on this planet? And, and he really challenges us. This is Jesus' um, brother, half-brother. Um, his dad is not God. Um, it was Joseph, but um, that being said. And so he is writing to us for what it means for us to live as Christian people. How do we go about doing the doing and being the being? So we're looking at that. Now, in the last couple of weeks, I talked about people um, and, and preached a message a time or two about what it means to pretend to follow God. And I don't mean like pretend to follow God like I am intentionally faking it, but I mean we live in a world where we take the scripture, and, and you can just, you can see this on social media. We just take this, the scripture, and we make it do all these hermeneutical calisthenics, which means we stretch it, and we twist it, and we bend it until it says what we want it to stay, see? And then we call that being a Christian. And then there's a whole sermon that I do, where, whether we're following um, um, Carl, the big fluffy red God, you know, where we just want a God that we can just put our arms around, and he's all fluffy, and he's love, 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 or whether it's a, a a God that's more emulates Barbie. You just pick the theological accessories that you want to put on your God and ignore the truth of the rest of it and just do the parts that you want. See, in this way, we're making God fit our lives and our belief system instead of changing our belief system to fit our God. And of course, the last one is um, jokingly what I call sugar daddy God. I only want the sweetness of God. I, that's all I want. Only I only want the sweetness. There should be no suffering. God doesn't want any of his children to have problems. He doesn't want us to go anything. Uh, through anything that would bring us any sort of pain or, or whatever it might be. And it's like, that, that all of those are true and none of them are true all at the same time, okay? They really is. And, and, and we cannot just like take one and say, this is it. We have to stop and say, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says about God? And we have to accept it all, not just the parts that we want. And so we talk about the idea of, of what it means to pretend to follow God. And it's like, um, wow, um, James, the brother of Jesus, talks about what it means to pretend to be a Christian. This book is all about faith and works, people that say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. And that's a challenge in front of our face as we chase through this um, um, small group series, even um, um, doing life, and we call that together. 
What does it mean to be a Christian and to hear James, the brother of Jesus, sharing these things with us? Because we can pretend to be Christians. We, we pretend to be Christians because I know, I know, I know, I know the gospel. I know, I know, right? So, so I'm a Christian because I know, I know, I know. Or I'm a Christian because I read every day. I read the Bible, I read the Bible, I read the Bible. Um, I'm a Christian because I attend church. I attend church. No, this is my church. I attend this church. I attend this church. Um, I, I, I'm a Christian because I give. I give to good things and I feel good about my giving. I, so I'm a Christian because I give. I give. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because I lead. I have a position in the church. I'm the pastor. So I, I, I must be a Christian. Um, it really is one of the, you know, the main qualifiers for the job. But sometimes, you know, you got to stop and say, whoa, that theology does not sound like reality from Jesus. And I'm going to make you sick with alliterations today, okay? We're going to have some fun. Um, or, or a lot of people will do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I belong. I have my membership at such and such a church. I've often talked about a young man that was in my life that lived with my wife and I when we first got married, had our first child. And um, this young man, we just took him in. Um, I, I, I was pouring into him. I worked with him. And he needed a place and hadn't been in church for 14 years. And so I said, well, why don't you come to church with us? And I was not a pastor at the time. And I said, why don't you come to church with us? God is doing great things in our, you know, college age group, and you, that's about where you are. And he said, well, let me ask my pastor. I said, whoa, time out. Uh, you know, I don't believe in taking people from other churches. I said, you said you don't go to church. He said, well, I don't. I said, well, who are you going to ask? He said, well, my pastor. I said, I thought you weren't going to church. He said, I'm not. I said, when was the last time you were in church? He said, 14 years ago. I said, who are you going to go ask? He said, my pastor. I said, okay, go ask your pastor. He came back and he said, my pastor said, I can't go to your church. It's not the right church. I said, are you going to go to his church? He said, no, it's too far away. See, we think that because we have a membership in a church somewhere, that that automatically means that our name is written on the roll in heaven. And James is challenging that presumption. Okay, this passage from James that we're going to look at, uh, I'll open up with James 1, but I want to focus on James 2. But, but this whole, he, he, the biggest part of the book of James, if you were to take one topic, is, is saying and doing. Saying and doing. So this passage is all about how integral, how important the change that is supposed to take place in your life, the transformation that God speaks of, it, it is so fascinating foundational to your salvation that you can't separate the two it's not possible and yet and yet we live in a world where attendance is Christianity. We live in a, church, in a world where uh, membership is Christianity. Like I said, where knowing is Christianity, where reading is Christianity, where attending and those are good Christian things to do. But Christianity is being in a right relationship with God where you're following him on a daily basis. Where he goes, you go. Jesus said that, you know, those who do the will of my Father in heaven, those are the ones that are going to go to heaven. In order to be doing the will of our Father in heaven, we have to stay in a close personal relationship with our Father in heaven. But, but it means this too, and, I, and, I, and I, I mean, maybe this is an eye opener, I don't know for you, but what it means is God is still speaking. God did not just speak thousands of years ago and we got it canonized and that's all there is to it. I'm not saying you're supposed to be rewriting scripture. What I am saying is God wants to speak to you. 
Jesus made that really clear in John 8, 47, when he says, those who belong to God hear his voice. The reason you don't hear his voice is scary. That's my part. What Jesus said was, is because you don't belong to God. And you got to back up and say, what am I hearing from God that I need to be a part of, that I need to be putting into action? James says this in James 1, to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Notice he doesn't say deceive each other. He says, stop fooling yourselves. That's what he's saying to the 12 tribes that are scattered across the whole Mediterranean um, theater. He says, stop fooling yourselves. Do what it says. And it's not easy. It really isn't. It takes work to do the teachings of Jesus. He says, anybody that listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone that looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Not what they know, not what they say they believe, but in the transformation that connects the two, okay? <laughs> Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, for if anyone is, Christ, is in Christ, the uh, new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So all things in our lives, when we recognize, you know, I saw something on Facebook the other day that it said, there's no place in the Bible where it says, um, um, how does it say that, but receive Jesus into your heart. And I got to thinking about that, it's like, what? Every once in a while, even pastors have to wake up. There really isn't anything that says, if you'll receive him into your heart, it doesn't say that. It says, if you'll repent and believe, which to me is receiving him into your heart. But still, it does not legitimately just simply say that. But it talks about the idea of a transformation. And so what needs to change? If all things become new in your life, when you surrender your life to Jesus, in your head, what things would become new right now? What, what is the thing in your life that has to become new right now? It has to become new. Your language? If you're going to walk with Jesus and say that you're a Christian, what needs to change? Your activity, the things that you'll be a part of, your longings, the things, the deep desires of your heart, the things that are in here that are passionate to who you are? Is that what needs to change? What about the way you spend money? Is that what needs to change? Where you'll spend it, how you'll spend it? What, this is a big one. And I want to challenge, um, well, I want to challenge me, I want to challenge all of you in this, okay? I, I really do. When, you, when all things become new, what about your friends? Are you still surrounded by the same people that you were running with when you were running away from God? Are you still surrounded by the same attitudes that you were running with when you were running away from God? Are those still the people that are speaking into your life as you're trying to go from glory to glory, but you're still in the same crowd, in the same activity, in the same attitude, in the same, but you know, it's, it, it, this is what I hear. But Pastor Joe, I want to be a light to my friends. I do want you to be a light to your friends. But even you will have to be surrounded because, you know, Solomon, when he writes to his son, he says, look, you know, you're going you're gonna to be, you're going to be the people that you surround yourself with. You are. It's easier to pull somebody off of a bucket than it is to hold somebody onto a bucket or to stay on that bucket by yourself. 
And when we separate ourselves from the world, we become a, a bunch of people standing on a bucket, trying to make a difference. And it's easy for people to yank you off of that sucker. Paul tells the church in Rome, when we're talking about, then what does it mean for us to be saved? Pastor Joe, I understand that being saved is by grace alone. I agree with you 100%. It's not by works, lest anybody should boast. I'm going to read that scripture to you in a minute. But we are saved by grace alone. So Paul, or excuse me, James is making this argument about works and, and, and our faith, about what we do and what we believe. And he's going back and forth. Paul says this to the church in Rome, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There you go. Okay, so our salvation is through faith by grace. It's, grace means it's a gift to us, and we have that, okay? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess um, your faith and you're saved. He also told the church in Ephesus, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, there it is again, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. This is why it's not, it's not by your works, so that nobody can boast. You've been saved by the grace of God. Just like anybody else has been saved by the grace of God, not by my works, because I can't sit up here, even as the pastor of this church, and say that I am worth more or I am a better person than you are because I have more grace because I do more work. I don't get to do that. We got saved by the same grace. The question is, what is the church as individuals, because the church is not the building, it's the people, what are we doing with the grace that we've received? Anything? And this is where James steps in and says, I want to challenge you. If what you say is true, then show it to me by what you're doing. If what you're doing is true, then it also should be coming out of your mouth. He's not letting either off the hook. That's what he's doing. First John, uh, in the book of John, John tells us, excuse me, John 1, not First John, but John 1. John tells us this. Yet to all who did receive him, who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And so then we recognize that the, the, our salvation, if you're wondering if you're saved, the question is, do you believe, not just up here, but in here, that Jesus is the Lord, that he is God, that he came down here, that he lived a perfect life for you because you were born a sinner. You did not become a sinner by sinning. You were born a sinner. And that sin is called a sin nature. And that sin nature is, I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. All of us are selfish by nature. We are. We want more, we want bigger, we want prettier, we want faster, we want smaller, we want thinner, we want, pick it. We want it, we want it, we want it, we want it. We live in a culture that feeds that. And it's easy to fall into that. And so John is saying, listen, it's a free gift that you received. You received it when you believed. Now that word believe means then I put it into action. It, it can't be separated from that at all. Over and over and over again we see the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit who is God telling us that our salvation is a free gift of grace from God himself. Nobody can take it away. Neither height nor death, principality, uh, not the devil, not the angels. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing. The question will be are you walking in that? Are you connected to that? 
The passage that I want to read this morning, just looking at it, is in James chapter 2. And like I said, this is the biggest passage uh, or the biggest topic in the book of James when James is writing to believers, and I think rightly so. Because James back then was saying, listen, it's not about just going to church and 2,000 years later we're saying the same thing. Hey guys, there, there, there needs to be a wake up. It's not just about going to church. And, and why would we put so much emphasis on this? Let me tell you why. We put so much emphasis on this because it's, it's so easy to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make it fit a political party, to make it fit a gender, to make it fit um, um, uh, an economic um, um, situation. We can make the gospel fit anything we want if we pick and choose instead of accept it as a whole. We've got to recognize that the gospel is here to change us. We are not here to change the gospel. This is what James says. I'm going to read it to you from James 2, beginning of verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? That's a consumer. That's somebody who shows up and checks off their list, that, you know, that they went to church. Okay, that's good. That's good. See? I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm, I'm just here to say, hey, this is James saying, wake up, church. How do we live? How shall we, how shall we do this? What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith, a dead faith, save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but doesn't do anything about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action is dead. If what we say is not accompanied by what we do, then we're back to this one back here where it says, uh, my dear brothers, don't deceive yourselves. See what it's doing there? See what we're looking at? There's got to be a, 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 a saying and doing, okay? All right, but he goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Great. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was it not our ancestor Abraham, uh, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture is fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by his faith alone. And, and what James is saying is, listen, we take the example of Abraham and God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And I almost preached this whole message just about that. Okay. But he said, I want you to sacrifice your son. Take him up out of the mountain and, and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham's faith, his belief in God led him to doing the doing. Okay? He, it, when he says, I believed, it was in what he did. So, when I tell you that I, I love Janice, not quite a truism. You can ask me how I love Janice. And I say, well, I love her because I provide for her. I love her because I want her to feel special. I love her. And so, love is what we do. Same thing is true of faith. Faith in Jesus is founded in what you're going to start doing. How is it changing your activity? How is it motivating you to be moved by the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of the people that are around you? That's what we're looking at. And so when we look at this, we have to understand that this grace, it's a life-focused desire and passion changer. James, or, uh, Paul said to the church in Corinth that um, the old is gone and the new has come. So there's a, a change that's taking place. 
And we have to know that they are intricately connected. You can't separate faith, what you say you believe, and what you do. You can't separate them. Otherwise, it would be more appropriate not to say, I believe, but to say, I know, or I acknowledge. So they're stuck together. I did a little bit of research when I was thinking about things that are stuck together. And, and, I, and I, I, I got to see the story of these what's called conjoined twins. Now, back in my day when I was a kid, they called them Siamese twins, but now they're called conjoined twins. And there's these two young ladies, and I say young ladies, Abby and Brittany Hensel. They're 30 years old, and I was going to put their picture up there, <coughs> up, up behind me, but I thought that seemed a little, you know, not right. It, I mean, honestly. It's a great story, and their pictures are everywhere, but putting it up here, even for the testimony of the gospel, it just, it felt not right. And so I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you about it. Okay? I don't think that's wrong. But I want you to know that Abby and Brittany Hensel, they're 30 years old now, and they are connected from here down in one body, but from here up, there's two people. Two totally cognizant, educated, been to college, both of them got degrees, um, people. But you can't separate them. They will die. Faith and works, if you separate it, either your works will stop happening or your faith will be seen as a dead faith. You say you believe it, but you don't do anything about it. See? And it's like these twins, absolutely amazing when you read their story and see what all they have accomplished. And now they're, they're math teachers together. So they accomplish things together. Same thing with our faith and our, our works. They have to stay together, but to, together they can do absolutely amazing things. So we recognize, here at the Vineyard, we recognize you've been saved by grace through faith. Okay? Can you grab a hold of that? You believe that Jesus is the Lord? Great. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Great. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Great. We're believers. Now, what is it causing us to do individually and as a body of believers? What is it causing us to do? Is it causing us to be more loving? Is it causing us to be more self-righteous? Is it causing us to be more condescending? Is it causing us to be more compassionate? Is it causing us to be more loving? Listen, being a Christian is not easy. It's not easy because every day you wake up and you catch yourself and it's like, ah, I, I should have kind of been aware of that. But one being saved naturally leads to the other doing works. They can't be separated. Okay. So let's start just, just for fun with the alliterations because I'm sick with alliterations today. I am. All right. They're going to pop up there so that you can deal with them. All right. So here it goes. God saves us by revelation, right? He saves us by the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he's our Savior. And that if we will just recognize the price is already paid, all we have to do is lay hold of it. So he saves us by the revelation of the salvation that comes through the administration of the propitiation of our sins as a direct result of his adoration for his creation. There's a lot of shuns in there, huh? Yeah. But, but, but think of it. Look at that. God saves us by the revelation of the salvation that came through the administration of the propitiation of our sins as a direct result of his adoration for his creation. So I recognize I'm saved by grace alone. There. I'm saved by grace. And even Paul writes to the church what is in Rome and he says, what shall we say then? Let's sin that grace might abound all the more. It'll make our grace look better if we're just bigger sinners. You ever met somebody that wished they had a better testimony? 
You ever been I wished I had a lesser testimony. I'm just going to tell you. I'm glad for what God saved me from and through. But I'm tickled to death to hear my wife's testimony. She was raised in a godly Christian family. She wasn't perfect. She was born a sinner. But she came to the place where she realized that she needed Jesus. And the revelation of her salvation did all those other shuns, and it was great. And we got married. We don't have to have this huge, huge disparity in Christianity and humanity that brings across this chasm of sin. But at the same time, we recognize that that grace is still just as big for each one of us. So we're saved by grace alone. That's what we believe. You have been saved by grace through faith. You believe that Jesus is the Lord and that he died for your sins? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you received this? Now, for those of us that say yes, what is it causing you to do? Because it should cause us, if Christ lives inside of us, he has not stopped doing the things he used to do. It should cause us, otherwise it's just knowing. Okay, so we go from God saves us by the revelation of the salvation that came through the administration of the propitiation as a direct result of the adoration for his creation to, but the realization of my salvation should lead to an expectation of transformation. So if I'm saved, then God expects some change to take place. So the grace of God leads to a, translation, a transformation that causes us to act. We can't not act. Paul tells the church in Rome to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means that you have an ongoing part in this transformation. It's been by grace you've been saved, but what are you doing about it? What are the gifts that God's put in your life? What is it that God has invested in you that he needs going on on the planet? The scripture says things like this. When you see a brother sin, go to him. All right? That suggests that you and I are to address sin in our lives and each other's lives in a desire to see healing and restoration. We're also responsible for the sin in our lives. Stand fast, persevere, be long-suffering. These things suggest that we actually have a, a real part to play. And it's an ongoing part. There's something that we can do. The scripture says overcome evil with good. It means you're supposed to be doing something. It means Joe Wood is supposed to be doing something. We are supposed to be actively living out our faith, okay? We have to make a choice daily. When do we give? When do we pray? When do we fast? These are things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. When you do these things, this. So we have an active part. So what does it mean for you and I to have a living faith? Because James says a dead faith is a faith that's just works, and a dead faith is a faith that's just words. It has to be works and words. If you're going to have a living faith, what is a living faith? Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel guilty about the sin in your life? The real question, right? Don't answer it in here. It's okay. But when you're sitting at home just being quiet, do you feel guilty about the sin in your life? Before I met Jesus, I did not feel guilty about the sin in my life. I felt ashamed of it sometimes, but I didn't feel guilty about it. When I met Jesus, I felt guilty about it. And then I celebrated the fact that he took it all away. And then I felt guilty that every once in a while I still sin. 
But I felt good that he said, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Not as permission to sin, but as an understanding that I need to continue to move forward. Do I still do the things that I do before I got saved? Do I still believe the things that I believed before I got saved? Do I still love the way I loved? I'll love you if you love me, but if you don't love me, I won't love you. Jesus said, love your enemy. I'm, I'm camping on that one at the end of this year. It is the hardest thing in the world to do, I think. Because initially I can say, yes, I do. Because they stay away from me. <laughs> when they kick you in the shin, now you have to revisit that teaching of Jesus, don't you? When they're mean to you, when they steal your money, when they break into your car, when they, um, I, I, I mean, pick something, when they take the job you wanted, when they lie to you, when they stick a knife in your back and walk away, when they reject you and break up the marriage, when, when they're evil to you, when they're, when they're physically harmful to you, then can you love them? Loving them does not mean continue to take it upon yourself. You have to love yourself enough to separate yourself from some situations. But do we love our enemy enough to wish that God would save them so that they would stop doing these things? Or do we love them in a way that we'd like to love them personally? You know, Scripture says lay hands on people and pray for them, and you'd like to lay hands on them, you know, and let them meet Jesus when you're done, you know. I'd like to make the introduction. Lord, you can work it out later. See, we have that, that, in, that John Wayne inside of us. We do. We have this John Wayne inside of us. Because living out the teachings of Jesus is nothing more than semantics until you're actually having to do it. But how do you prepare to do it? Do you feel guilty about it? At what point do we stop focusing on what we don't want to do and focus on what Jesus has called us to do, really? I mean, what would Jesus do? I mean, it's cliche and as, as horrible as that is. That really is the question on a regular basis. When you're out with your girlfriend, when your wife and you are having a spat, when you're, what would Jesus do? What would he do right here? And some of you got the idea that he, oh, let's all take it down. Jesus was a doormat, and so we should be doormats, and we should just take it. I don't think you're reading your Bible if you think that's who Jesus was. I wrote a whole message that I have not given, and I'm saving it because I got to check the attitude of it, um, where everybody thinks that, you know, good Christian people should just sit in the corner and be beat to death. And it's like, no, 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 no. Jesus called people names. He, uh, don't take my word for it. Read your Bible. He called people names. The Pharisees came up and he said, you brood of vipers. He didn't say, oh, thou brood of viperists. <laughs> Wherefore are you here today? He did not do that. He called them names. Now you say, oh, so I guess we're supposed to go call people names. No, I, I'm not doing that for you. I'm just saying this idea that Christianity is some lame um, teaching that we're just supposed to be quiet and lay down. On the flip side of that, nobody gave you permission to be ugly. Nobody. And certainly not heaven. No, because we can all justify our ugly. I promise you I am good at it justifying my ugly. I can be ugly, but I can justify it better than, than probably most of you scripturally. But nobody gave us permission to be ugly. So we've got to be challenged by that. Is there a hunger in your life? Do you feel guilty about the sin in your life? Is there a hunger in your life to grow in holiness? The idea of being set aside. God said, be holy because I'm holy. What does it mean to have a living faith? Do I care? Do I feel guilty about the sin in my life? Or do I just want to sin?
Our second one, do you desire to see people come back to God or to come to God? They should just say come to God, but sometimes come back to God. Or are you like, good riddance, I hope you burn in hell, you know? Isn't that our flesh? Isn't that really? Oh, you're going to get yours. I hope you don't come to know Jesus the day before, or the minute before, or the second before you die. Because I just want to know that you're going to get your comeuppance. If you're not familiar with that word, ask your grandma. Okay? Comeuppance. I mean, gets what's coming to you. Okay? I knew a man that got saved at a place where I worked, and I celebrated with him. And then I said, well, are you going to tell your friend about Jesus? And he said, no, I do not want that man to get saved. I want him to burn in hell. And it's like, okay, faith and deeds. This man was serious. He wasn't being catty. He was serious. He did not like that man so much he wanted him to go to hell. What I want to know is Jesus, his whole work is trying to get people out of hell. He wants people to come back home to God, even evil people. Do you want to be a part of that? I listened to a man preach one time. Yeah, it was the, uh, the, the star of Jesus Christ, Super, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, if you're familiar with that, from the 60s um, and the 70s, travesty, whatever you want to call it. But the point was, that man that played Jesus in that, that video, that movie, he got saved. And I got to go hear him preach one time, and he donated, once he got saved, all the royalties that he was getting for that movie back then was $200,000 a year. He donated it to um, um, ministries. He, he wouldn't accept any of it. But he got to go see um, Charles Manson. If you're familiar with who he is, he wanted to see Charles Manson saved. He didn't, he, Charles Manson was, you know, going to live his life out in prison and die. But he thought Charles Manson should have an opportunity to come to salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Wow. What kind of guy does that or believes that? So what I want to know is, do you desire to see people come back? To God. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves his father uh, loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now, this is important. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. To obey God, to obey the teachings of Jesus Christ and it's not a burden for you to do it. You're willing to forsake the things of this world that you used to do because you really want to see people come to know Jesus. This is the victory that has overcome the world. This is our faith. This is living faith. Jesus challenged people to go all in. You can find that whole series online, <laughs> okay? But Jesus called people to go all in, even those of you that are out there in, in, in your homes and in, in wherever you are. Jesus called us to go all in. He said things like, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, sell everything you've got, give to the poor, um, come follow me. He said, come, follow me. He said, instead, you can't come with me. Instead, go spend your life telling your family what I've done for you. Go tell your family. See, there's a place here where we have to understand that God does things in our lives so that we'll go tell people, so that they'll come to God, so that they can go tell people, so that they'll come to God, so that they can see what's going on here. That's the whole point, even the people that we don't like. And the last thing that I'll challenge you in is, are you part of a community called the church? 
Are you plugged in and part of a community that's called the church? Now listen, we've got a lot of excuses. We've got a lot of excuses out there. Um, and I know a lot of people are staying home and, and I'm good with that. That's why we did this live streaming because, you know, the COVID thing's still around. Things are going on, stuff like that. Okay. But some people are staying home because, well, they went to church, but they got hurt, right? They went to church and somebody said something or did something or I didn't like the way he got treated or somebody's sin didn't get dealt with or, or something like that. And, and, and I'm just saying, you know what? There's no perfect group out there. There's not. There's people out there coming together that are trying to chase after Jesus and leave a life of sin. And we can't base whether or not we're going to be a part of a community of faith on a previous church hurt any more than I would stop spending $20 bills because I know that at any given moment there are counterfeit $20 bills floating around Madison County. I'm not the one printing them, in case you're watching. <laughs> I'm just saying, I know it to be truth. But it doesn't stop me from spending money, does it? Then why should people that maybe are dead in their faith stopping you from going to church. They're not. You're right here preaching to the choir, right? Yeah. But think about it for a second. Not am I attending a church. Am I plugged in to a church? There is a huge, huge difference. And I want to encourage you in that. Paul told the church in Corinth, now, even so the body is not made of one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body. God has placed you here. That's what that means. Let that settle in your heart for a minute. God has placed you here, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. For if they were all one part, where would the body be? Jesus said he told, or excuse me, Jesus told Peter he was going to build the church on his confession of faith. But that confession has to be met with action. What I believe is only identified by what I do. And you can't separate them. You can't do it. God wants us involved. God wants you plugged in. All of us are, are, are gifted. Listen, we can't all be a part of the worship team. We can't be a part of the speaking team. We can't all be a part of the, the, the booth in the back. We can't all be a part of the children's. We can't all be a part of the hospitality. We can't, we can't all do everything. And we can't sometimes, you know, do what we want to do. It's important to find out what it is that God's gifted us to. But I promise you this, you are a 10 at something. Whether it's testifying, witnessing, preaching, singing, playing, greeting, interacting, all of those are just as important as the other one. My part is not more important than your part. My part is different than your part. That's all. But we continue to pour into people to see God doing incredible things. So here's my question. Are you fulfilling your part of the being and the doing in the body of Christ? Is what you say what you do? And listen, it's not about do I believe it or can, can, can you convince me of it? It's not about that. When you're sitting alone, can you convince you of it? 
can you look at what you do, what you say, what you print, what you post, and say, yeah, I'm walking with Jesus today. Or do we need to back up and, do, 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 and say, hey, Lord, <laughs> let, me, let me reconnect here. Let me reconnect here. Because I want a living faith. James challenges us. Let the words that are coming out of your mouth be met by the actions that you are living in so that people will know that you have a living faith and not a dead faith. Some of you are gifted uh, people in, in testifying. Some of you are gifted people in, in inviting people to church. Some of you find it super easy to greet people as they come in. Some of you are very gifted musically or, or, or administratively. Or It's time for you to start plugging in. Listen, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even out there, I just want you to understand it's a knowledge that you've been born separated from God because of the sin in our lives that we inherited from Adam and Eve. It's that simple. But that sin's got to go. It cannot be placated and it cannot be covered up. That sin has to go. And when we give that sin to Jesus, because that's what he did on the cross, he died for it, then, then that sin's gone. And then we have to start standing against it. And every time we fail, God says, get back up. One price was paid. It still covers this. But let's try not to. Let's don't presume upon it. But let's recognize the freedom that we have in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he loves you. And his love was not a feeling. His love was an action. He loved you on Calvary. That's how much. So how do we respond? Like James said, we say and tell people about it, and we do. We provide for people, love people, be with people, whatever it is God asks us to do. But we need to be listening to God. I don't know what you're going through right now. I'm not really sure. You're always welcome to call me, set up an appointment, whatever you'd like, and, and, and we'll meet together. But I can tell you this. God wants to meet you right now. Outside, there's going to be prayer people. Walk out those doors. You're going to go right to the table. There's going to be prayer people waiting for you. You can very quietly share with them what you'd like for them to pray with you about, or you can just say, hey, my name is Bill. Please just pray for me. But if your name's not Bill, don't say your name's Bill. Don't say, Joe said I had to say this. I don't know why, okay? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. They want to pray for you because I serve a God who wants you, who loves you. He's not disgusted with you. He's not fed up with you. He's not sick and tired of you. You have not exhausted him. You are not that big. He is so big with love. But I want to encourage you to give it to him. Fathers, we come before you right now. We thank you for this blessing. We thank you for this word, and we ask and pray that you would use it to change who we are simply into who you want us to be. Let us change our lives to fit your word, God. Let us not change your word to fit our lives. We ask this in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen.